This is Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection between mental health and real life. I am Justin Lewis. I'm your host and licensed marriage and family therapist. On this episode, I will be talking with another podcast and therapist named Abby Medcalf. Abby is a relationship maven, psychologist, author, podcast host, and TEDx speaker who has helped thousands of people create happy, connected relationships. With her unique background in both business and counseling, she brings a fresh, effective perspective to relationship using humor and her direct, no-nonsense style. With over 30 years of experience, Abby is a recognized authority and sought-after speaker at organizations such as Google, Apple, AT&T, American Airlines, and Chevron. She's been a featured expert on CBS and ABC News and has been a contributor to Huffington Post, Woman's Health, and Bustle. She is the author of the number one Amazon bestselling book, Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, and the host of top-rated Relationships Made Easy podcast. Before I get into my conversation with Abby, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Compass Counseling. Compass is a um, counseling center located in Kentucky. We are in three locations, Paducah, Owensboro, and Henderson. And in each of those locations, you can find the therapist that is just right for the needs that you might have. We do in-person and telehealth counseling. So if you are doing telehealth, we can meet with you all over the state of Kentucky. If you want to get set up with an appointment, check out the website, compasscounseling.com. Here is my interview with Abby. Okay, you're in, you're in San Francisco right now, right? Uh, yeah, I'm Berkeley across the bay. Okay. Um, yeah. I was in San Francisco last year, but we didn't make it to Berkeley. That was back before social distancing and we got to go to the uh, hardly strictly bluegrass festival are you, oh, are you familiar yeah. with yeah. that okay everybody goes to that yep there was uh there was definitely no social distancing uh when robert <laughs> plant was playing and people were like i didn't know that it was possible for me to be as close to human beings as i was at that time period i think it was it was super packed but kind of awesome I, yeah yeah i <laughs> I enjoyed my time in San Francisco. That was a great city. Loved it. It's, you know, I'm, I'm from New York City, so it's okay to be here, but I, I would definitely rather be in New York. Prefer New York? Okay. I do. Wow. I don't um, fit in here in Berkeley so much with how I dress and act, and I'm, oh. I'm a New Yorker, you know? Okay. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it's all good. People, yeah. are, you know. I People just, are much more chill in San Francisco, that's for sure. They are something, yeah, different <laughs> energy for sure. There's also a lot of heightened uh, political awareness kind of uh, acre that I don't love um, that oh, I don't yeah. find with New Yorkers. Um, New Yorkers are super real, super like, boom, you know, um, and it's a little more like Northern California. I think Southern could be very different. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. it's like, but it's okay. It's all good. You find your people, you do your thing, you love everybody, and it all works. <laughs> you know, ultimately, the place is about finding your people, isn't it? It really is. That's, yeah. you know, it's all it is. It's what it comes down to. Yep. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me here. I appreciate My you taking pleasure. some time out for it. 
Well, let's, uh, I want to start with uh, just kind of working with uh, an understanding of where your passion for uh, psychology comes from, particularly relationships. A lot of times psychologists don't find themselves in the relationship realm as much. So uh, tell me where that comes from. Um, so I started, um, I was going to be a lawyer. I, I grew up wanting to be a lawyer. Um, okay. <laughs> always wanted to be a lawyer. I never wanted to be anything different. I, uh, my, my high school graduation gifts were wrapped in the yellow pages of lawyers. That's how much I was going to be a lawyer. Okay. Uh, and then um, I had a bad drug addiction and, uh, mm. to heroin. And I, through the course of that, getting, uh, getting clean, I moved to, uh, from New York to Israel. And okay to try to find myself in my way. And when I was there, I worked, um, I was still doing uh, <laughs> pre-law. Okay. <laughs> and I was uh, in college still. And um, I was, I started to work at a camp integrate, integrating Arab and Israeli kids. And I kept getting told, wow, you're really good at this. You know, people mm -hmm. really trust you. They like to talk to you. And I thought, oh, is that like a job? Like, is that something I could do? <laughs> yeah, right. And basically when I got back to the States eventually and I started really thinking about what I wanted to do and then I went and worked for a lawyer and hated it, I realized that this counseling thing maybe had some legs. Uh -huh. And so I really got into drug and alcohol counseling first. That's all I did for many years. I was a drug and alcohol counselor. Mm -hmm. And then over those years, I realized I wanted to have a bigger impact and I wanted to reach more people. And so I went to get my MBA. And in MBA school, I was told I was in the wrong school. And I was told that what I really wanted, what, well, I got a master's in counseling before that. But, and then uh, I was told I wanted, a, um, <laughs> I wanted a PhD in organizational psychology. And I didn't even know what that was. I'd never heard of it before. And so I went to pursue that. And that brought me out to California. But um, it also, I started to shift into working in companies, helping, mostly helping uh, executives who had drug and alcohol problems. That's kind of how that started. Oh, and so I kind of had this morphing of the two worlds of business, sort of in count, the counseling I've been doing for many years. Mm -hmm. And then as I was working with these executives, you know, you don't, you don't have five DUIs or get caught on a, you know, drug charge and you're making $100 million a year or $40 million a year, you know, and you're happy at home. Th those, those don't go together. And right. so I, and I didn't know better. I didn't know I couldn't ask counseling questions <laughs> when I was sort of coaching these guys because I kind of fell, you know, hiney backwards into that. So um, I started talking to them about their marriages and their lives and their parenting and all their, this, you know, and they started to improve their home relationships. I never met, it was mostly men. So I never met their wives or their partners. And yet they were coming in saying that their lives are being transformed. Their relationships are transformed. And I thought, huh, there seems to be something here. <laughs> and so I, and then eventually I want my own children. I wanted to be around more, you know, they were little and I wanted right. to be around and not, not, traveling. Sure. And so I shifted back into private practice, just doing, I still consult and still have executives in my practice, but right. it really shifted out of like big five firms and flying all over to just being uh, in my office and okay. doing a lot of uh, work this way. Um, and then that 
turned into my book and turned into my podcast and turned, you know, and everything just started rolling from there. Um, you know, culminating, I guess, my TED talk last year and all the rest about really focusing on these relationships because that's how we're happiest, right? It's all yeah, about our right, relationships. Right. I mean, Harvard's put out studies, Yale's put out studies that the number one secret, the number one thing that makes people happy more than money, more than anything, are our relationships. Mm-hmm. And so my mission, and I feel very, I feel very driven is to, uh, create world peace one relationship at a time to change the world one relationship at a time. So everybody I touch, everybody I talk to, if they're, you know, better in their relationships, right, then that gets passed down family, you know, lineages, then they're being better parents to their kids. It just, the ripple effect is tremendous. And I really believe there'd be no hate or bullying or racism or bigotry if people were happy in their, you know, these are unhappy mm-hmm. people who are doing this stuff. These are people who feel disconnected, isolated, uh, we're taught hate, you know, and if you're taught something different, right, it's a learned thing. And relationships are a learned skill. People think you're born with it. You're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we should have classes in school on this and we don't. Uh, and, you know, this is it. Totally. Yeah, totally agree with all of that. My background is in uh, marriage and family therapy. So um it didn't take me as long as it did for you to understand the value of the relationships. <laughs> but, Which is such a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So I got to, uh, I got to cut to the chase there on that, but that's uh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Got- and that's really where my heart is, you know, in family systems, I studied under Salvador right. Mnuchin and oh, great. back in the day when he mm-hmm. was still uh, with us, um, worked with sure. his son, Dan, uh, he supervised me for a couple of years, you know, like I was very much into that, um, because that's how it is. An organization is a family system. I mean, everything's a family Correct. system, whether, you, whether you like it or not. A lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was explaining uh, triangulation just uh, about an hour mm-hmm. ago. So yeah, <laughs> uh, systems theory uh, definitely applies across the board. Yeah. So I'm a big believer uh, in that, and it sounds like you are oh, as yeah. well. Um. So. When was, you've got the business background, so maybe that gave you kind of that um, opportunity uh, to pursue it a little easier than your average kind of helper, (laughs) helping profession uh, individual would. But uh, I guess I want to talk a little bit about how you've um, published this book. you know, I was thinking, I've been kind of watching your stuff here for a little bit. Uh, it's funny, I am going to just kind of say how we, how I got to pay attention is um, on Twitter, there was a question on one of these podcast uh, kind of Twitter accounts, mm-hmm. like who would, who would your ideal guest be? And I guess I was feeling froggy one day and I put uh, Batman as my <laughs> ideal That's guest. That's great. <laughs> just as a playful kind of answer. And uh, I think that you responded or liked it or something. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look up this person. And this is kind of the, the way that the world works now on social media. Uh-huh. We stumble across people. That's great. Um, but uh, I guess since I've been, since that moment in time, I've been paying attention and uh, to kind of quote Hamilton a little bit. You put out content like you're running out of time. I don't know if you're a Hamilton fan or not, but um. <laughs> I am. Um, well, I, I really believe that everyone should have access to great relationship information, Yeah. whether uh, or not they have the ability to pay. 
So a lot of people can't afford to be with me. Um, I have a lot of years of experience, so can charge more money. You know, I don't take insurance. You know, I, I'm sort of at that echelon or level of of what I do. And Mm -hmm. yet I know that my 30 plus years of experience are hugely valuable in what actually works, you know, not just what you think kind of works or Mm -hmm. what one person said works, uh, but based on my hands-on experience and all the research, because I'm a research junkie, if you look at my stuff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I decided really a few years ago, I thought, well, how can I create total accessibility to, I mean, really great relationship information. I don't put out anything that I wouldn't pay money for. I, mm-hmm. Every single thing I put out, I think, would I pay money for that? Would I, even if it was 10 bucks, would yeah. I pay to get this? And so uh, that's when I started. Uh, and I like to write. And so mm-hmm. that was easy. And then the, you know, it started with my newsletter and the blog and then, you know, grew into the podcast and the book. And, you know, it just started to roll. And really the key is just to be consistent and really make sure we just had our hundredth episode on my podcast. And oh, um, yeah, it's really exciting. And we were in on CNBC's top 10 podcast you should be listening to right now, not that long ago. And, you know, it's really exciting time. It's uh, the people are coming to it and then they're binging on, you know, it's great. But what I know is that that means, and I get emails constantly and DMs and everything else saying, thank you. Thank you. This really changed my life or this really helped me. This is really moving the needle. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. I, I, I make no apologies for making good money doing what I do. I think I should just as much as any CEO running a company should. I think more the work we do should make more money because <laughs> right. uh, of the good we do in the world. But I know that there's a bias that people have about that, but that's a separate issue. But, yeah. um, but I also am here to serve and I want to make sure again, that there's accessible information for everybody. I get, email, I just got an email uh, yesterday morning from Sweden, you know, someone <laughs> listening to who knew someone yeah. listening. Uh, I thought how great someone in Sweden is feeling like this is helping them. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest high you can get in what we do. So true. That's uh we never know the the lasting impact. That's one of the yep. things uh, that we ne- we don't get always get to see the rest of the sor- rest of the story, so to speak. Right. So, um, that's one way to to kind of get that feedback that's unique at this point in time, especially mm-hmm. if you're putting out content like that. So let's um, let's get a little bit more into some of the things that you cover in your, uh, particularly in your book, and I think your TED talk is sort of along the the same lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have this idea that I think you even use this as like a, a phrase on your website that you help create happy and connected relationships, even if your partner won't do a thing. <laughs> Whenever I talk to couples, generally they want the opposite of that to be true. They want their partner <laughs> to do things and have a happier relationship without them having to do a thing. But yes, you yes. Know, if that's not going to be the case, I guess the next best thing is to just have that, uh, that one uh, person who can control something. So anyways, yeah. talk, talk more about um, kind of how you approach that idea mm-hmm. and the value of, of having that as an approach. Definitely. I, you know, well, again, I was doing this work with executives and they were changing their marriages and I never met their wives. And right. uh, it is really, it, I, and then I was noticing in my private practice that I, and cause I track my success rates. I track how people are doing success, mm-hmm. meaning, I set goals with clients and are they reaching their goals? That kind of thing. And I found that my rates of success with people who came in individually versus with their partner were 
equal or sometimes higher hmm. than when people came in with their partner. Interesting. And I believe that's because when you come in alone, you're getting like, I have to do this. There's nobody else here to point at. There's no one here to stare at. There's no one here right. to talk about our last argument with. Uh, this, I need to take full responsibility because no matter what else, that's what has to happen, right? In mm -hmm. any relationship, you have to take full responsibility. Full. You co-create every relationship you're in. You are not a victim. You are not entitled to anything different. Mm -hmm. There's no one to blame. It is just you. So at the end of the day, it's you. And if you can truly understand that and start to make that sh those shifts, everything changes. Everything changes. So yeah, the name of my book is Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. By the way, it's good for even if you're not married. Um, and it's uh, every tool in there. Yeah, it'll work if your partner is doing something, even, you know, even maybe more exponentially, who knows, but for sure will work even if they're not. And the thing I talk about all the time is that our, uh, this is the work of Timothy Wilson, it, our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, while our unconscious brains process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. Mm. So your partner doesn't hear what you say, they hear what you mean. What do you mean? What's really going on? And so the, usually what happens is someone will come in the office and they'll say, uh, I'll give them a great tool. I'm like, okay, go do this. And they go, okay, Gabby, I'm really excited. I'm going to go do this. And they go home to their partner, but they're thinking this is a great tool consciously, mm -hmm. but subconsciously or unconsciously, as we psychologists say, so right. the lay people say subconscious, mm -hmm. uh, we, they're thinking, uh, our problems are really big. This little tool is not going to do a thing. They're doubting. They're frustrated. They're resentful. They really mm -hmm. think nothing's going to change because their partner won't change. These are all the unconscious thoughts. So then they are with their partner. They use the tool. And their partner sees them using the tool consciously. Mm -hmm. right. But is actually thinking, well, I see that she's acting a little different, but I wonder how long this is going to last. I'll yeah. just wait it out. Right. Because they're picking up on that 11 million bits. They're picking up on the doubt, the anxiety, the worry, the frustration, the resentment. That's what they're, that's all they're hearing. The rest of it does not matter. So the partner doesn't change. They don't do anything different, even though the person I've sent out, that my client is doing everything different. So then they come, then they stop. They go, oh, that didn't work. I knew it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. They come back to the office and they try to tell me that, that my tool didn't work. And I have to tell them that they're wrong. My tool works very well. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I have to tell them this part. I'm like, you are doubt. You have to get completely those two things aligned. You have to get your unconscious and your conscious minds aligned. Mm -hmm. That is what, and everybody knows this is true because every single person out there has <laughs> been in the house. Your mm -hmm. partner came home. And you didn't even see them and you knew they were in a bad mood. You weren't even in the room or maybe you just walked in the room. They hadn't said a word to you and you could tell like there's a disturbance in the force. You can feel it. That energy's there. Right. That is the 11 million bits. That is what that is. Or someone was talking to you at work and they were full of, you know what, but they were saying all the right things, but they were just full of it. And you were, ugh, you get that weird feeling and it doesn't feel good. It's not aligned. And you just don't trust them. You don't like them, whatever it is. You, that's the 11 million bits. We do it all the time, but for some reason forget that people are picking up on our 11 million bits. Right. And, and it's often with partners and with everybody that our unconsciousnesses are talking to each other, not 
whatever's getting said. And that is also why I have people in the office all the time. And I, I love it. I'll have a couple in and they'll say, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. No, I said it. That No, you didn't. And they're doing that. And it's because mm-hmm. of this. They didn't hear it. They did not hear the thing that got said at all because they were only hearing that 11 million bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was curious to talk to you about that piece of it too because you know the vast majority of my work when I'm trying to improve a, a relationship is with both people here. And when, sometimes with one person here and even sometimes when both people are here and they hear the instruction um, and they're both hearing within the sound of my voice at the same time and they go home, they still kind of have this expectation that the way that they've been acting before is going to play out. Right. So yeah. it's like, especially if so there's one person that comes, comes out and uh, is like, okay, I'm going to do this thing different this time around. And uh, so they're like mustering up all the, all that they can do to remember exactly what I've told them to do. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like the <laughs> exactly. approach, I'm going to say it right this time. I'm going to say it like Justin told me to. And then um, the partner doesn't respond in the way that they hoped that they would. And I, my suspicion, it's because the, the partner's like, okay, here we go again. I'm not going to expect anything to be different because this is the way it's gone so many times. So that's a barrier that I, I see a lot. So, um, well, one of the ways I get around that is Mm -hmm. by teaching, um, about something which you probably do know about, but we'll repeat it for folks Mm -hmm. is your, uh, your something called your RAS, your reticular activating system. Everybody has it. And your RAS is basically a filter between your conscious and your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you consciously think about, the RAS sends that as an order or an instruction to your unconscious mind to look for it. And people know this is true because if you've ever bought a new car or even thought about buying a new car, as soon as you start looking for, you know, oh, I want a silver Nissan Pathfinder, yeah. that is all you see. Oh, yeah. There's one. There's one. There's like, one. There it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is your RAS pointing out consciously you were thinking about this car. So it sent it as an order to your subconscious to look for it and it found Uh it everywhere. And so what happens in a relationship is the exact same thing. If I think my husband's always nagging me, guess what? My RAS sends that, right, to as an order, look for my husband nagging me and I will find it everywhere. And what's really important about the RAS is that not only does it do that, the, the thing that's even scarier is that it will filter out anything that doesn't match. So when my husband's being appreciative, when he's kind, when he says thank you, my, because my, my RES, I, I only am programmed for nagging, that stuff disappears. And again, that's why couples are in the office saying, you know, I thanked you last week. I said this. I said that. And they have no, no, you didn't. They have no memory of it. Yeah. Uh, and that RES is, is, and so I help couples. I say to them, so you Con- have confirmation to program bias it on purpose. Yeah. So, so how does, how does, uh, your client get around that then? How do they communicate to their partner? Hey, stop using your RAS. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, uh, you, you don't need to tell their partner to do anything. That's the point. You take responsibility. You do it. So you fully, fully love. You fully, you know, are generous. You fully put in 100%. There's no 50-50 in relationships. That's the biggest crock of whatever there is. There's 100-100 right. and that's it. Yeah. So, but the more you look at their 100, the bigger trouble you're in. And the big thing I say, the other, I guess, biggest kind of platform I have is that the number one problem in, with couples is not communication. Everybody comes in thinking it's communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody. And I have to tell them they're wrong. The number one problem is competition. 
you're competing with your partner all the time for resources you yeah. and time, money, whatever. You say sure. things like, it's your turn to put away the dishes. Uh, I took Johnny to baseball on Monday, so you have to take Sophie on Friday. Uh, you spent money on this, so I'm going to spend money on this. We think it's all like that. And that is what's happening in a relationship all the time. I'm thinking, I'll give you this. I'll be nice. I'll be wonderful. I'll be loving. But I got to see it on the other side or I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's a competition. You, you're set up in this keeping score. You are keeping mm-hmm. score. And every time, I, it's trite, but it's true. When you keep score, you lose. It is not your turn to put away the dishes. Put, I put away dishes all the time thinking, oh, it's one less thing for, for my hubby to do. It's one less thing for my partner to have to worry about. Isn't that wonderful? I am making his life better right this very moment. By the way, even better, have your kids put away dishes. But anyway, you know, <laughs> and this way that we always look to our partners to pick up the slack, to pull their weight, to uh, do their fair share. Anytime you use that language, that's when you're disappointed and frustrated and angry at your partner. Because for many reasons, one of them is that, first of all, your partner can't take anything off your plate because it's the same plate. <laughs> you are, <laughs> you're moving around the mashed potatoes, people. Mm-hmm. This is the same plate. So if I'm draining my partner, I'm draining myself. And that's what happens all the time. And couples do it all the time. Well, I can't do this. I'm going to give it to my partner. No. Look, and what you do, the answer is to look outside the partnership for resources to bring in. When you have things that everyone's on full, everyone's overwhelmed, you can't just keep adding. So mm-hmm. you have to look outside. How, what resources can we add? Who can we, we can hire someone, we can barter. What do we need to do to bring in more help? And the other part is to minus things. Get rid of crap. Do you really need your kid to be in a, you know, have a language, two sports and a instrument and, you know, something Hmm. can go. I get that you think this, the world is going to fall apart if it doesn't happen. They won't be competitive. They won't be able to get in a call. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) they're going to be less happy about divorced parents or parents who are fighting all the time. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like get your priorities straight. So stop, <laughs> let it go. There's thing, your kitchen is not going to be perfect every night. If you ask your husband to wipe down the counters and he misses a spot of jelly, oh friggin' well. Like if in, or just do it yourself and say, this is the service I'm giving to my family. Mm-hmm. If you know, I'm going to wipe down the counter, but do it with love. Don't do it with that nasty, you know, oh, I got to do it myself or no one else will do it. There's just no way to have a love relationship based on fear. And all of that is fear talk. All that anger, all that frustration, all that resentment is from fear. Mm-hmm. So give fully. Program the RAS for love, for generosity, for abundance. Whatever you want to see in your relationship, be that thing. Do more of it. But do it without keeping score. Do not look to your partner to see what they're doing. And, and I, I guarantee if you do it this way, they'll start doing it's what happens when you're kind. People around you start being kind. I see kind people all the time because I'm kind. That's all I run into pretty much. That's all my RAS is programmed for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> all, the, all the nasty people, I don't even notice them, you know, unless they're really, you know, it, but that's rare. So mm-hmm. the majority of my life feels like there's kind people around doing nice things for me. Sure. Right. I'm not special. I'm not magical. And I'm not Pollyanna. I know the world. I see it. I pay my taxes. I do my thing. Like, I get it. But yeah. you can be you know, it's that whole which wolf you feed thing, right? These are your choices in life. You Mm -hmm. can choose to be happier. You could choose to be miserable and focused on what sucks. You'll Mm -hmm. be right either way. (laughs) Yeah, so true. I think that uh, a lot of couples come in with this idea that if they can figure out a quid pro quo, 
yeah. um, then that'll be okay. Like if you treat me like I want to be treated then mm-hmm. uh, then, then vice versa, we're going to be all right. Uh, but yep. you know, I, I constantly am like, no, that's just not going to work. I know that there's techniques out there and some famous literature out there about that that I won't go into, but I really don't think the quid pro quo uh, approach is going to, is going to do anything just because it's going to breed resentment. Um, yeah. Well, in an, we know responsibility breeds responsibility and resentment breeds right. resentment as well. So if one just takes ownership of what they can do, you know, what, where they lack, you know, take responsibility of what they do when there is conflict, because there's going to be disagreement and conflict. And if one person takes responsibility, um, both people are going to take responsibility, which is kind of what I think that you're promoting whenever you talk about, you know, if, if you change yourself, your, your marriage is going to be better. So basically if you take ownership of what you need to do better and your piece of the conflict, it's going to, the battle's going to stop really. Cause there's no yeah. sense in a battle at that point. If one person right. says, okay, here's the piece of it that I can take ownership of the need for a, a winner or a loser is gone. Mm-hmm. It, we know from the research that uh, in negotiations, both sides always feel like they gave up more. Mm. So this whole idea of compromise anyway is nothing Uh, or meeting in the middle. There is no middle. (laughs) So I always tell couples they're, they're looking on this line. Like I'm at point a, you're at point B and we're trying to get to something in the middle, a and a half. I don't know. Like, what is that? Mm. Instead, I tell them to look at it like a triangle that they're both at the base of a triangle and they're both looking up towards a new solution. They haven't even thought of yet. Mm -hmm. Something that both of them bring that creates something new, something else, something future. Mm-hmm. And that's the way to go. It's not either my way or your way. It's like our way. What's our way? What does that mm-hmm. look like? And that really helps couples move that needle. When, but the, yeah, the keeping score, I'll do this. I got four things on my list. You need two things on your list. The other thing that doesn't take into account is that it, it's very much focused on something very quantitative instead of what's qualitative. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets married. Nobody gets into a long-term relationship for the quantitative things. I didn't. I don't. I didn't marry my husband because he mows the grass really well. That's a quantitative thing, you know. And that's right. what people are fighting about. They're yeah. fighting about you didn't help me bring in the groceries. You didn't do this. You didn't wipe down the counter. Quantitative things. You marry people for the qualitative. They make you sure. feel safe, loved, honored, cherished, whatever that stuff is. But we mm-hmm. start to break it down into these quantitative pieces. And that's where we get into trouble. So when you're keeping score, you're not honoring the fact that your partner or whoever else has gifts, has things that they bring that have nothing to do with something you could check off a list. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, that feeling you get from them. That's, yeah. that's what you're going for. Not like, let's not fight about Oh God, putting away the dishes. Wow. Where are we here? Yeah. Nobody was attracted to another person because of the way they put away dishes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Right. Yeah. So like, oh, nobody you want to be with anyway. That's I want to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So something else I had picked picked out of your, your work is sort of what we kind of got into, but there's no close intimate relationship um, with competition. That's just, it just creates a barrier for that. Um, and it's, People come into our office, I think, whether or not they say it this way, um, wanting to feel like they're on the same team and wanting to feel more connected. Yeah. Uh, and I think ultimately that's what people's goals are, whether or not they know how to say it or not. That language. You know, mm-hmm. At this point, at this point, we know how to say it for them. 
<laughs> the trick is to well, just make, and get, I always make them get it out there, then yeah. guide them to the, to the path of uh, understanding. Right. But, but yeah. you have to meet them where they're at. So first thing, you know, doctors have do no harm. Therapists have, you know, meet the client where they're at. And so sure. I meet people at the communication place and then I bring them to the next place. And that's the reason communication tools fail is because there's this underlying feeling of competition. And when you are keeping score and you want to win, because, you know, if you lose, they get more and you get less. If you have that idea, no matter how subconscious, you're no communication. You don't trust. How's mm-hmm. a communication tool going to work? It's not going to work. Not long term anyway. And that's right. why people make small changes and then end up reverting back, right? And going yeah. back to old behavior. And the hard part about all this is that it's our natural tendency to compete. Yep. Like we have to do something different. We have to be willing to go outside yep. the path of least resistance because yes. natural tendency is to compete and want to win and serve yeah. self and all that kind of stuff. So It is. Yep. And the negativity bias that we are, you know, we're, we're hardwired to, for this negativity effect, depending on who you, whose research you read, but, right. um, you know, Gottman talks about this five to one ratio in marriages of right. for every five positive things your partner does for every one negative it sort of cancels out. Mm-hmm. Baumeister talks about a four to one ratio like that. Fredrickson famously was a three to one ratio, you know, so wherever you go, it is this ratio of multiple things. And really what's best to do in a partnership is not to mess up. I tell people this all the time. Don't focus even as much on doing the right thing and being great or whatever. Focus on not doing the bad. Like don't do the bad thing. If uh, I had a gentleman in my office, well, a while ago now, but who had forgotten his wife's birthday and he realized it during in session. He said, oh my God, I forgot my wife's birthday. He goes, I'll make it up to her. I'll take her out. I'll, I'll get a show. I'll do this. And I said, oh, sweetie, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not going to even get close yeah. because it's the forgetting of the birthday. It doesn't matter all the things that happen after mm-hmm. that's going to sit. So you might as well not actually do all those other things because <laughs> yeah. it is, it's really not, you, you need to not forget the birthday. You sure. need to put a reminder in your phone a week ahead, then the day ahead, Tell, I don't know, tell an assistant, tell a friend, anything so that you don't forget. That, that's what you need to do. Focus on that. So I don't mean focus on the negative. I just mean focus on these things that your partner really wants and make sure that those happen. Don't focus on like, you know, whatever you can do to sort of fill in. That, that's, not, that's not how it works. Yeah, totally. Totally agree with that. There's no equivalency to forgetting a birthday. No. No sense in even trying. No. <laughs> Just move on to the next. <laughs> Moving on. So as a uh, expert, people ask me this kind of question a lot, and uh, I never get to ask it, or very rarely. But do you uh, have your own uh, like pressure to have a uh, high-functioning relationship because of the fact that you are an expert? Oh, in relationships? I don't like get you, that much. Husband, I get yeah. more like people thinking I'm, I'm diagnosing them when we're like out and I don't, I, I'm off the clock. I don't, you know, but mm-hmm. I will say, I always joke, you know, John Gray is on his third marriage. You know, it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's, I know lots of marriage and relationship experts who have multiple marriages. And I actually think in that way, um, in some ways people learn more that way because you get these books like, so uh, what's his name? Dr. Phil. Phil, Dr. Phil puts out a book about relationships because he and Robin have the best relationship and base it on our relationship, right? 
they're mm -hmm. divorcing or separating. I, I have an issue with anybody who says, my marriage is great. Look at my marriage. This is how you should be. Mm -hmm. Because that I meet, I've literally met with thousands of people. I read every bit of research out there. That's what you should be counting on. Mm -hmm. I practice those principles in my relationship. <laughs> so my relationship is awesome and mm -hmm. amazing and incredible. I practice those with my kids. I, I practice in my life. I think in some ways if... I, I don't feel a pressure as much as I, because I talk in my, I don't know, I have a weekly newsletter. I talk all the time in there about how I mess up. Because <laughs> of course I do. Um, but I do, you know, I kind of bring it back to my lessons and what I believe to be true. And that's sort of how I get out of it, right? I, I get mm. out of the muck by those things. Uh, but I think, I don't know. I, I think it's great when our quote unquote experts, if their lives are a mess, yeah, that's problematic. You know, that would be weird, sure. I think. Um, but if they are uh, just human, I, I think that's kind of wonderful because I know that they are trying, like, that they're trying as hard as I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they really get how right. hard this is. I'm coming in the off. In some ways, I have the opposite problem that my life can look very perfect to people because yeah. I'm always doing my happy marriage, you know, my happy relationships. My, I'm, it's the danger I'm, of all the social media posting stuff. Exactly yeah. right. You know, yeah. I I'm really good friends with my ex husband and his wife. And I just, mm. she just had a birthday. I made her a birthday cake. My son just had a birthday. Everybody was together at the birthday table, and we all get along really great. My mm -hmm. my ex and I co parent really well together because you know, I, cause I practice what I preach, but it doesn't mean that I never went through pain or had difficulty or, you know, and I think that that's the, and that I still don't have pain in my current relationships. And I, I think it is harder for those of us in the field because in some ways people want that perfection, but then when there's that perfection, they discount it and say, well, that person doesn't know what I'm going through because they have this perfect life. Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. they don't really get it. So it's really weird. But then if we share that our lives aren't perfect, it's like, oh my God, why would I listen to them? Because they're, <laughs> they got whatever. <laughs> so I think it's always about being um, honest to a point, you know, uh, I, I, but I don't share like all my dirty laundry or all my stuff. It, that would be to me inappropriate. I think we have the hardest time these days being therapists with social media, et cetera, or having any kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, presence in that way because of the when i started in the field 30 plus years ago you never you didn't say a word about yourself like yeah, a word was, yeah like i was in recovery and Blank people didn't know i was in recovery yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i'm working at a drug rehab and i can't even share that i'm a recovering drug addict i mean you didn't i didn't share a thing mm. and so it's a really but i really come i share quite a bit now i i think that people deserve to know my background and my biases what I think is important and what I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I think they deserve to know because it's informing what I say. I, so I do have some issues with sometimes the way, I don't, I don't know that the field has progressed the way I hope it would um, given our world, mm -hmm. that we need more connection not yeah. the blank slate, not less connection. You know, we need, we need safe boundaries and we need, you know, and that's the hardest thing to do. And in some mm -hmm. ways I think that whole blank slate, I say nothing, I am nothing. You can't, I don't even have pictures of my kids in the office kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't wear a wedding ring. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so that they know nothing. I think in some ways to me, being a recovering addict, to me, that's addict behavior. It's so black and white. Mm -hmm. It is so black and white. It's going from, I'm so afraid of any kind of infringement, right? Of anything 
then I go completely to this other level, which mm -hmm. is based on fear. That's, that's a fear model. And I don't work in a fear model. I do not work in a fear model. So I don't know. That's my personal little soapbox. Many people, you might not agree. Many people don't agree. It's okay. That's why we're all here. Um, but I no, just I agree. I agree with that totally. I've, I thought recently, I was like, you know, couples that I have good rapport with rarely walk away unhelped. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I yeah. like if I am able to build a rapport, and that includes like showing my real self, you know, being like saying this is, what I do in my free time, <laughs> you know, like even yeah, yeah. those kind of things. Of course. Those rapport and trust. And um, yes. sometimes I'm like, you know, like this is really hard to do. And the other night I was sitting in my room and I thought to myself, I should probably use this technique I tell people about, but I was just really tired. So I didn't <laughs> like, uh -huh. I just admitted it like straight up. Yeah. Like, there look, I get it. This is not easy. Just because I sit here from this comfortable right. seat to tell you to do it doesn't mean I, I believe that it's an easy thing to do. So right. I think that just, like you said, in our, in our culture, society, these days when everything is becoming a little bit more casual, mm -hmm. um, there's no reason why our profession shouldn't um, kind of embrace that as well. Yeah. It's, a, it's, I think a wonderful thing. And I'm, and when you, you know, that is the number, you know, of all the types of therapy that have been studied of all the mm -hmm. things they've looked at, you know, what's the best. We know yeah. that it all comes down to the rapport we have with our clients mm -hmm. and a story. And in these days of social media, because it's almost like, you know, if I'm talking to, you know, tens of thousands of people are downloading my podcast every month. That's a lot of people who are listening. Sure. I do think of them as, clients. You know, I do. I, I, I think of those boundaries, not, I mean, let me not a client, but close to it. And mm -hmm. so I really think of this person I want to help. And I do try to keep those boundaries mm -hmm. while sharing because people have to like, know, and trust. Those are the words we use, right? They mm -hmm. have to like you, know you, feel like they know you and to trust you. Mm -hmm. And otherwise they won't listen to my podcast. They won't take the wonderful information I'm trying to give them. <laughs> and so I'm, I have to, you know, and they won't look at my social media or whatever. They're not going to look if, mm -hmm. or be engaged in something I believe will help them if they don't look like no one trust. So yeah, I think it's harder than ever to, uh, but I think those are the things we should be talking about and figuring out the boundaries around. Not, mm -hmm. you cannot do this. This is black and white. Here you are over here. I, I think that gets very dangerous and, mm -hmm. again, fear-based. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about your podcast and exactly what that looks like. You, uh, your podcast, you do a lot more just kind of, you're the, you're the teacher, just me. you're the host, you're by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, you, you kind of carry it. So talk a little bit more about uh, what it's what a, a listener uh, may take away or what they would what they would hear. Um, yeah. Well, it's the relationships made easy. That's podcast. That's yeah. literally what I'm about. I've been focused on uh, romantic relationships the first two years. This third year, I'm moving more into because I believe my everything I teach can be applied to all relationships to work to parenting, to friendships, to parent, everybody, because that's how I use it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I kind of niched with couples first. So I am, it, it's still a lot of couples, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of 
trying to make that more general too. And yeah, so what happens is people write in. I used to have an Ask Dr. Abby show <laughs> and people would write in with questions and people still write in with questions and that's what I talk about. So uh, recently, uh, not that long ago, I had a bunch of people write in asking about what do I do when the honeymoon phase is over in my relationship? Basically mm -hmm. asking that question in various ways. So yeah. as I get emails and DMs or whatever, I keep a list. You know, I sort of make little check marks and I add, you know, I have sort of an Excel sheet where I keep all this stuff. And I noticed that a bunch of people are asking this question. So guess what? The, you know, I, I, I record ahead, but I think it's coming out or came out or is coming out soon. We're right here. Maybe it came out last week. Um, what to do in the honeymoon phase in your relationship. So what I do is I get that question and then I go research. I research what everybody says, what everybody thinks is the best. I, well, actually what I first do is write down what I think is the best. <laughs> <laughs> then for my own yeah. whatever. Yeah. Then I, I, I research it and then I come up with very specific research-based and hands-on based tool, you know, a teach. I always have a teach about it. Mm -hmm. So with the honeymoon phase, we talked about limerence, you know, and what is happening in your biology around it. And we talked about that and why mm -hmm. is it so hard? You know, why can't you stay there and how long does it last? You know, I give all the information and then I always get into tips. It's usually like you know, three tips to this, the five ways to do that, my, my five-step process to get out of analysis paralysis, you know, whatever the <laughs> thing is, I, I systematize it and quantify it in a way that people can walk away with a quick win. Because at the end of the day, it's really nice to hear all this stuff, but what, if you don't do anything with it, what's the point? And right. so I always have some sort of win that you can have. I usually try to create some sort of worksheet or giveaway or something to go with it so people can, you know, take the learning a little farther. Um, with our, uh, with this honeymoon phase ends, we did a six second kiss challenge <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, that's some of the research showing that, you know, when you kiss for six seconds or more, it releases oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. So Mm -hmm. threw that out there to everybody. But um, yeah, the podcast has just just grown and grown and it's wonderful. But it is, I, I'm interviewing actually BJ Fogg, who's a New York Times bestselling author who wrote this book, Tiny Habits. I'm interviewing him later this week. But normally I have no, I think I have, that would be like my fifth one in three years. <laughs> like I just don't, <laughs> right. it's really me talking. Yeah. and uh, teaching and, you know, encouraging and giving real life examples and all that good stuff. But they are based on things people are, you know, we just did what, did, what do you do if your partner's depressed? What do you, you know, I mean, everything you can imagine if you are questioning it in your relationship and it, it's not, you know, it's probably a common question, believe it or not, that a lot of people ask. Uh, I figure out a way to make that into a, a podcast, you know, make yeah. that into something that I can answer in a very clear, systematic way. Um, and then I always have a corresponding blog on the on my website. So, so not everybody wants to listen to a podcast, right? Not, mm -hmm. not everybody is going to sit there for an hour and, or 45 minutes, whatever it is, and listen. So I always have a blog with everything I've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, I actually write the blog first, and then I use that kind of as I'm doing my podcast, right, as sort of an outline. And then I also do, I have a YouTube channel, so I do a video. I call them connection quickies. <laughs> so that's like, uh, it's 10 minutes or less. It's really, you know, right in that pocket of 10 minutes uh, where I talk about the subject, but I do it much more condensed. So what's, what I found people say is, oh, I listen to your podcast. I love it, but my partner won't, won't listen to a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So I say, 
send them so and they send them to the YouTube. If they want to watch a video, they can watch me there. If they'd rather just read a quick post, they they read the post, but they can still get the information. The podcast always has the richest, deepest information because I'm right, I'm spending 45 minutes to an hour on a topic. Right. But if you just have 10 minutes and you really want to get this teach, <laughs> really want to get a a, a sense or want to share it with someone uh, who doesn't do podcasts, then, then that's a great way to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, like I said early on, you put out content like you're running out of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. I like, yeah, I got to help you. We have to change, you know. What percentage of your, uh, your clients listen and then read your stuff, do you think? Um, come in and say, oh, I liked your most recent podcast or how does that? I get that. I don't know. I mean, I get so much of it. All of my uh, clients are word of mouth in some way. So the vast majority of people come to me from another client. Um, I don't advertise, so to speak, or do anything else. So um, I occasionally have people, yes, through the podcast or through the blog or something, but Mm -hmm. the vast majority of people are through just someone knew me who knew me who called. Sure. So once they are a client though, are they looking at your, are they looking at your content? I send them there all the time. Like, so depending on what we're working on, I'll say, Oh, go listen to this, go watch this, go. And again, depending on what the, how they like to consume information. uh, I very rarely tell clients to read books. I just find that clients don't read books. They don't want to read books anymore. No, I purposely made my own book very, succinct. You know, I remember my publisher at the time was like, no, we need more of this. We need more of that. I said, I want to be, I am, my people are busy. Mm. They are super busy. The people reading this, they just want the information and they want to know what to do. Mm. That's it. They want it like some proof about why it's important. And then what do I do about it? And that's what my book is. It's, I distilled it from whatever, like this big thing to the smaller thing, very, very purposefully. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I took a lot out of the book and I made it a kind of a bonus toolkit that I put online that you can get when you get the book, you can get the bonus toolkit. Um, I do that because otherwise it's sort of overwhelming when you're reading, you know, here's 10 things you can do. It's like, ah, uh, just tell me two or three, right? Just, right, just yeah. give me one or two things to do. And so that's what I do instead. And then as you're, you know, if you really like one of the chapters, really like one of the tools, then you can go get the bonus, you know, and do more of it and really mm-hmm. dive deep into that. But I was so purposeful in how I created it and so purposeful in how I put it together because uh, it's how I teach my people, mm-hmm. right? It's been working with thousands of people. I'm like, this is what I should put in a book, not mm-hmm. something that a publisher says I should put in the book, right? I, I know what people really want, my people. Sure. I, I'm sure that could have uh, uh, appealed to other people, but they're not necessarily the people who are going to like my stuff anyway. So why waste their time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got some curiosity about um, the TED talk. Mm-hmm. Never talked to a person who has um, given one of those before, but I've watched several. And there's always kind of like the same vibe and the same about length. So I'm wondering, do they give you like some coaching on how you should um, uh, say things and how, where you should position yourself on the stage? Because they seem like they're all so uh, uniform in a lot of ways. So is there... Well, all of them are different. You know, they're all privately run except TED itself, but the TEDx talks are yeah. all um, private. So some of them have coaching, some of them don't, some of them have, you know, what they're looking, some don't. Um, yeah, you just, I chose mine because I wanted one with good sound. You know, you go back, you see like, cause you could do the best TED talk in the world. And if they're not 
recording it well and there's not good sound, no one's going to watch it. Yeah, and so true. that's really a waste of your time um, because it's, you're going to talk to, you know, 500 people in the room, but what about, or a thousand people in the room, but what about everybody else? So mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, uh, I, I, all of them are really different, really different culturally, so to speak. Um, and uh, I found actually, I'm probably, I don't know, it was on my bucket list. I'm glad I did it, but <laughs> it's really a speech, not a talk. I do tons of public speaking. So, and yeah. I'm really, it's, it's my superpower. I, I'm really good at it. I feel really comfortable. I have facts all over my head. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Like this is really in a way public speaking, right? I'm just oh, talking. I don't have notes. I'm just going. Yeah. And I love that. This is because it's a time. You have to stay in the time limit. You have, mm -hmm. you don't have like a PowerPoint that you would often have to kind of remind yourself where you're at in a talk. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. You don't have any of that. You yeah. have to memorize a speech mm -hmm. and then make it seem natural. Yeah, right. And then, and it, it kind of sucks. Like I, it was very hard for me. I, I realized I'm not a good speech giver. I'm an excellent talker, yeah. <laughs> public speaker, but I'm not a good speech giver. So it was, a, it was lesson learned. I was like, oh, I actually don't like doing this. I don't like having something so scripted. I also normally involve the audience. I'm getting feed, mm -hmm. you know, doing that. Um, that's not part of a TED Talk. And mm -hmm. also a TED Talk is not about tips. A TED Talk is about an idea worth spreading. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's not, and now you should do X, Y, and I'm all tip person, right? I want people yeah. to walk away like with something, you know, and that's not really how a TED Talk is supposed to be. Right. So it's interesting, you know, the whole thing. It was a great experience. I'm so glad, I'm grateful, and I'm so glad I had it, and, um, uh, but it's not something I'm, because people have asked me like, wow, it did so well. Are you going to do another one? And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they do seem to keep it pretty uh, tight as far as what, what their expectations yes. are. To make yes, uniform. it is. So, right, because Ted ultimately like. has to approve to put it up. So mm -hmm. when you do the TEDx, it, you know, for t Ted has to like approve them and they have to be in a certain lane. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work. I did a ton of work on that thing. Yeah, it's crazy to memorize everything just right. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, and pretend yep. like you're saying it without just saying it. Yeah, it's honest. yeah, it's like really you're performing. It's like a theater yes. performance or something. I, like I'm that. sure actors and actresses would do the best, or people who present papers maybe a lot. You know, researchers probably do better. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, speak from notes and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, because they can if they're, you know. But a lot of people, you know, the best ones, you're just sort of talking. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. Well, I just had some personal curiosity about that. So I thought <laughs> sure. I would pursue that. Is there uh, <clears throat> anything else uh, important that you would uh, want to cover today in this, in this interview? I really appreciate you taking time. Sure. You know, I think the thing I would always say on the way out, the simple, simple win, right? The quick mm -hmm. win, like, what's the one thing I can do, Abby? That's great. What's the one thing I can do? You know, what's there? I, I have a little um, jingle, a little thing I say, which is don't sack your relationship, S-A-C. Don't offer suggestions, give advice, or criticize. Mm -hmm. So if you just focused on that today, just everywhere in your relationships, every, all of them, notice how much you are offering your opinions, giving suggestions, you know, your wife says, oh, my butt looks big in this. You're like, hey, have you tried to walk more? Have you eaten more? Have you, you know, it's like, shut up, stop it. You know, 
it's that not understanding what's happening in that interaction. And it comes off as a criticism. You know, when you're suggesting things, it's criticizing someone. And people think, well, I was just suggesting, I was just trying to offer some help. No, you were criticizing because you were basically telling them they didn't know. Like mm-hmm. what, you're too, you, you're too stupid to figure out how to lose weight? Of course she knows how to lose weight. Of course she knows what she should be doing. She's just not doing it. What mm-hmm. she needed to hear, as we all know, is, oh my God, babe, you're beautiful. You know, if I can help you in any way, <laughs> let me know. Boom, done. Your, 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 your conversation has ended. Yeah. So, and when you don't offer suggestions, give advice or criticize, what you will find yourself doing is more uh, questions. Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything I can help you with that? If I could say one thing right now to make this better, what would it be? If I could do one thing right now to make this better, what would it be? Uh, can you tell me more about X, Y, Z? Can asking these collaborative questions is how you create connection, how you create a partnership, how you create that teamwork. That's the that's the secret sauce <laughs> that yeah. really gets everything going. But you, but I would say for everybody, just don't sack and ask questions. That's a very good takeaway. (laughs) I appreciate it again very much, Abby. My pleasure. This has been Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and life. For more episodes, you can find the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we are also on social media sites, Facebook and Instagram. Website for the show is mappinghealthyminds.com, which has access to all the episodes that we've recorded so far and a little bit more about the show. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a review or tell a friend. It's the best way for us to pass the word on to other people. Mapping Healthy Minds is brought to you by Compass Counseling and is produced and hosted by yours truly, Justin Lewis.